Thank you, Max. Thank you. Welcome back. Hope you come more often. Great delight. Thank you so much, team. You know, everything I'm going to tell you today from the Word of God runs to the extreme opposite of everything that is taught in secular education and in the secular media. What do you say, what's, what's new about this? Well, you'll see in a minute. Because I genuinely believe, and I will keep saying this unless we see a revival or the, the Lord returns, that it is high time for us not only to model, but prepare the next generation for the onslaught. There are some people here who disagree with me, and I'm deeply appreciative of them. And they say, Michael, do you have to be negative uh, on the culture all the time? Uh, Why can't you just leave these things alone? We know culture is evil. You don't have to remind us of that all the time. Well, it's not quite all the time. (laughs) But nonetheless, I'll stay positive on the evil direction of our culture. (laughs) By speaking to you today about the virtue of true self-esteem, the power of biblical and healthy self-esteem, the blessings that come our way when we exhibit biblical health esteem in a culture that rejects the Word of God. But I'm going to do this as a contrast to status quo. I cannot help it but do that. Because today, particularly our young people, they treat celebrities uh, with awe. They treat them as gods and goddesses, and, and, and they call them idols. The secular media celebrates their blatant immorality, arrogance, and narcissism. Here's the lesson that we must teach the next generation by modeling it for them. We need to emphasize that celebrities are here today and gone tomorrow. But those who exhibit a truly godly, good, healthy, biblical self-esteem will live forever. That's the difference. More than 2,000 years ago, a young teenager in Nazareth, that is a, a town that has bad reputation, the worst in all of Israel, She exhibited a true, balanced, healthy self-esteem, and we talk about her today. Her memory lives on to this day. Someone said that no one can make you feel inferior without your acquiescing. This is far from feeling inferior. This young teenager had the whole world working against her. But because of her truly sound, healthy self-esteem, she stood against the whole world. When you begin to comprehend the words of the Magnificat, it's a Latin word, uh, when you begin to comprehend the circumstances that surrounding 
this prayer of praise by the Virgin Mary, when you begin to comprehend the unbelievable incongruity between the deadly circumstances which she was facing and the courage that she exhibited, you will begin to develop a truly humble biblical self-esteem. No wonder, she said, from this day on, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are, 2,000, more than 2,000 years after the fact, she has proven right. <laughs> I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand after you find this wonderful, magnificent song of prayer. It's page 1589 in the Pew Bible in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Luke 1, 46 to 55, page A1589. Will you please stand with me as we say this prayer of praise together? I'm going to begin again the first sentence, and I'm going to let you take it over from there. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Go. Father, I publicly confess my bankruptcy in my inability to comprehend, let alone explain, these magnificent words from your Scripture. But I anchor my hope in the promise that a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Speak through me so that the, your people, whether we be speakers or hearers, can only hear Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. Be seated, please. The Virgin Mary is a beautiful example of teenage femininity, of a teenage beauty, inner beauty, uh, of a teenager spiritual commitment of her character, personality, and strength. Now, I want to tell you, many of them probably do not know that I know this, but I watch our teenagers in this church. And I want to tell you that I thank God for so many of them because I know many of them are committed to living for Christ in these dark times. Many who are often bold and courageous, and they stand against the bullying of their peers and the anti-Christian school officials. 
they take a stand against the whole culture that seeks to break down their faith and their value. And today I want to be an encouragement. I want to be encouragement to the teenagers. I want to be encouragement to the parents and the grandparents. By looking at this young teenager, Mary, looking at her belief in the Word of God, looking at her passion for the fulfillment of God's promises, Mary's deep abiding relationship with God, truly is a role model for all of us, young or old, that we can emulate. Because of that commitment, when she faced a crisis, I am talking about huge crisis that none of us would even comprehend. She faced it with confidence. She faced it with faith. And what a crisis it was. Now, beloved, listen to me. This was not just a bad hair day. I mean, this was not just wearing clothes that your peers do not approve of. I mean, this is not just not having the latest model car or the latest uh, iPhone or iPad. Uh, This is not just uh, not able to to play first string at sports. Now, I know these things are important to, to many, but this young teenager, the Virgin Mary, was facing life and death issue. She lived in a world as a teenage girl where only the world, in her worlds and the words of adults, adults male, that really mattered. Think about this. A young Virgin Mary lived in poverty at a time when only the rich and the powerful words that really mattered. She was unmarried and pregnant in a society where the law said she should be stoned to death. Young Mary was pure and never been with a man in a society where false accusations often run rampant. And yet, she fully trusted in the Word of God, in the Scripture, and in the Word that was delivered to her by an angel. She was fully committed to God's glory, regardless of the price, regardless of the cost, even her own life. Here's a fact that you will not hear in the secular schools or the secular media. You will not hear this. It takes a truly, truly healthy, biblical self-esteem to be humble. Did you get that? You see, people with broken self-esteem, and it doesn't matter what they call it, it's a broken self-esteem. Because of that, they have a feeling of inferiority. They really do. They cannot afford to appear humble, so they fake it. (laughs) They want others to know how smart they are, how beautiful they are, how accomplished they are, how competent they are. They let their arrogance compensate for their feeling of inferiority and the lack of self-confidence. For only those who are secure in who they are and whose they are can afford to be truly humble. Can I get an amen? Amen. A few weeks ago, or a couple to be exact, I received an email from a dear friend of mine who have become friend in the last 
a few weeks. He's well known, actually. His name is Mike Evans. I have his permission to talk about him. Mike Evans, let's remember that name, Mike Evans, that's his name. He ministered to world leaders. Uh, he has been all over the globe. He is a, best, uh, a New York Times bestseller. He's on television all the time. Some of you may even recognize the name right away. Uh, he lives in Dallas, Texas. He sent me this email just a few weeks ago, and I want to read it to you, and I have, as I said, have his permission to do this. Here's what the email said. Michael, we were talking about world leaders and uh, Christian um, le- le- leadership impacting them and so forth, and he said, Michael, a man can be too big in his own eyes to be used of God but cannot be too small. He continues. He said, I saw this sign on President Reagan's desk in the Oval Office when I was only 33 years old. And I've never forgotten it. Then he goes on to tell of an amazing incident that happened to him. Here's what he said. He said, I had eight meetings with President Ronald Reagan, and I thought I was big stuff. One day he said to me, walk with me, as he was going to get into his helicopter in the Rose Garden. The press roped off, and they were shouting questions. He said, it was just the two of us walking toward the helicopter. When we got to the helicopter, he took both of his hands to shake mine. Then he leaned and whispered in my ear, good to see you again, George. (laughs) He said, George, I was shocked. I thought we were best of buds. He didn't even know my name. I thought, what an example of understanding all of the fading stuff that, as Mary understood, she did. This young virgin understood that God honors the humble and He scattered the prideful. But before I get to the prayer of praise, the question that many people asking and will continue to ask, and I'm hoping that during this Advent season that I will keep talking about this subject because it's very important. In a time when everybody says, well, including preachers in pulpits say all religions are lead to the same place, all religious founders are equal in, in value, and all religions are equal in value, and all of this stuff. The question is, why did Jesus have to be born or had to be born of a virgin? Because the Son of God could not could not, can you say that with me, possibly be born of a natural biological process. Listen to me. Had Jesus been conceived by an earthly father, he could not have saved us from our sin. Because you see, whether men, you like this or not, our children inherit their sin from their daddy. Hello. Now, ladies, don't, don't let that elbow fly. That is true. And I think when you're kind of spanking your little boy, you're spanking daddy out of him. 
<laughs> Had Jesus been conceived by an earthly father, he could not have saved us from our sins. Why? Because he would have been a sinner like us. But only the one who is born sinless and lived sinless can pay the price for our sin. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you, okay, because this is important. There is a miracle that takes place every time a person comes to Jesus Christ and says, Lord, I am a sinner and I'm heading straight for hell, but thank you for dying on the cross for me to pay the wages of my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Every time that happens, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Beloved, I am painfully aware, listen to me, I am painfully aware that Christian believers today have lost their passion and their excitement over that miracle of salvation. Amen. We have taken that miracle for granted. We have forgotten what it really means for Christ to be born in us. This miracle means that when Christ is born in us, we too are favored by God. Think about this. Like Mary, we are favored when Christ comes into our lives. We are favored when Christ transforms our hearts. We are favored when God uh, changes our eternal destination from hell to heaven. We are favored by God when He gives us faith to believe. We are favored by God when He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, don't miss this. Don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the miracle. For in that miracle, we have all of the healthy self-esteem that we need to live in this dark world. We have all of the healthy self-esteem that we need to face the anti-Christian prejudice in our culture today, whether it be on our campus or marketplace or workplace or government, whatever it may be. And that's all of the self-esteem you need. Listen to me. When you watch the news and you see that our faith is being mocked and you see that our Lord is despised and our Christian witness is scored, scorned, don't ever forget that you are favored by God. Amen. Now let me get to Mary's Magnificat. Follow it with me. This is a prayer in a form of praise, and it should be an example for all of us. The one thing you notice about this Magnificat is that He he, he, he. So many of these modern songs, thank God we don't sing them in this church. I, I, I. No, it's he. Can you say that with me? It's he. Let's hear that very clearly here. This prayer reminds us that we are favored by God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are walking with the Lord day by day, you are favored by God. This prayer of praise is truly a role model of a prayer for all Christian believers. 
Believers who know that they are believers because they've been favored by whom? Three things I want to share with you very quickly. First and foremost, you notice the highest priority is magnifying and glorifying the Lord. And you see that in verses 46 and 47. Mark them in your Bible. Secondly, like Mary, we are to praise God for His grace. We've been talking about this for weeks now, verses 48 to 53. Thirdly, like Mary, we need to thank God always and often and continuously for His faithfulness. Verses 54 to 55. First of all, look at how the glory of the Lord is paramount in her mind in this prayer. Let me remind you again of her predicament, because I know we gloss over these things and we read them and we even know a little bit of the history, but we, we don't focus on it. You, know, just, you need to transport yourself to that time and that history, that part of the world at that time. She was pregnant and she was unwed. The sweet, faithful, unmarried, godly virgin became an outcast of her community. As soon as the town gossips, noticed her baby bump, their tongues started wagging. If you grew up in a small town, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. (laughs) So when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she was not rejoicing in her wonderful circumstances. She was not rejoicing in her close friends who were standing by her. She was not rejoicing in how pleased and excited her parents were about this pregnancy. Can you imagine the reaction? of the culture at the time. Mary's soul glorified the Lord, and she rejoiced in Him because she has placed all of her trust in Him. Her soul, her spirit, her emotions, her intellect, and even her body, which is becoming hormonal by this time, all of her were bound up in praising and exalting and blessing the God who blessed her with this favor. Beloved, I I know probably some of you, whether you're here in this place or watching around the world, and you just don't feel that you're favored by God. And you really don't. At least that's how you feel. You look at your circumstances, you look at your friendships and your relationships, and, and you look at your bank account and your bills, even you look at your health. And you don't particularly feel blessed right now. Please, 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 let me plead with you. Do not allow your negative circumstances to cloud your vision of God's favor toward you. Can I get a witness? Don't allow these temporary conditions to negatively impact your eternal relationship with God. And that is why you should be praising God, you and I should be praising God in the triumph and in the predicament. We should be praising God in the sunshine and in the shadow. 
We need to be praising God when our eyes are sparkling and when our eyes are glistening with tears. Why? If you are eternally saved, you are favored by God, and that's enough. It's almost blasphemy to say that in America. Enough? We don't even know the meaning of the word. Enough? Yes, enough. Let me tell you something. I I believe with all my heart. Show me a person whose prayer life is focused on glorifying and magnifying the Lord, and I'll show you a person who is contented and full of joy. Show me a person whose prayer life is consumed by bringing glory to God, and I'll show you a person who's truly a happy person. Show me a person whose prayer life is focused on seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, and I will show you a person who's truly satisfied. Look at Mary again. Because if there's anyone, at least that I know in history, if there's one, anyone in the whole world who would have the right to be worried and anxious, be down in the dumps, uh, would have been this pregnant teenage young woman. Her life is on the line. Think about this. Her life is on the line. Her reputation has been tarnished. Her honor has been called to question, and her future is in doubt. Now, you think you got problems? Hello? You got problems? Oh, but her response to her circumstances shows us why God has chosen her from all the young women in Israel at the time to be the mother of the Messiah. The glory of God was paramount in her mind. Secondly, she praised God for His grace. His grace. Verse 48. For He has been mindful of humble state of His servant, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's it. Will call me blessed. Beloved, there is a small segment. There's a segment in the Roman Catholic Church. Listen to me carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand me or misquote me. There is a segment within the Roman Catholic Church who want to deify Mary and make her fourth member of the Trinity. That, in fact, was intensified back in in the 80s and the 90s, and then, thank God for good men like Pope Benedict VI, who understood the Scripture. And that is why he's the first pope in 600 years to retire. The pressure was enormous. He said, that is not only blasphemy, but it's contrary to Mary's own testimony of herself. She never said that. She never claimed that. And here we see that she saw herself as a mere humble servant, a handmaiden of the Lord. Beloved, God always, 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 how many always of this favors the humble? And I'm not talking about the person who pretend to be humble. Oh, I'm humble. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm not worthy and I'm not worthy. I remember one day, years ago, somebody were asked him to serve in, 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 a, in a ministry. He said, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. I said, are you kidding? If we think you're worthy, we wouldn't have asked you. <laughs> Hello. As I read to you earlier, 
A person can be too big in his or her own eye to be used of the Lord. And here Mary recognizes that even her courage, even her strength in the face of these crushing circumstances, all by grace. Can you say that with me? All Say it with enthusiasm, will you? I know you had some ice and snow. We all did. All Mary was continuously conscious of the grace of God, conscious of the favor of God, the mercy of God, and the gift of God. In the last message, I talked about the problem of self-pity, and oh, poor me. If you start thinking and praising God for His grace, you'll never say, oh, poor me. (laughs) And so she kept her head lifted high, and she walked with her head raised in spite of the whispering among the town gossips. Sadly, we have church gossips, all churches. Once Jesus in describing his cousin, John the Baptist. He said, among those born of a woman, there is no greater than John the Baptist. And when you think about this, this man did not look good, did not smell good, did not speak good. (laughs) And yet Jesus said, no greater. Why? He gives us the answer actually himself. John, in chapter 3 of Gospel of John, verse 30. He must be greater, and I must be less. Beloved, the only greatness Mary had was in her true humility. Verses 51 and 52, she said, He has performed mighty deeds with His own arms. He scattered those who are proud in their uttermost thoughts. He brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. You have to ask, where are all the despots throughout history, from the Nasser to Alexander the Great, Caesar, Hitler, Mussolini, all those who raised themselves to power and they thought were invincible, they're all dead and frying in hell. And yet, after more than 2,000 years, this humble teenage virgin still praised God. So we can emulate her. And she's still being emulated today. I discovered just recently that at least 27 varieties of variation on the name Mary. Her faith, her virtue. I know you heard me say this. I always love the way God turns history on its head. At the height of the Roman Empire, Caesar was everything. The Apostle Paul was nothing. And today we call our children Paul, but our dogs Caesar. God gives grace to the humble, and He humbles the proud. 
The third thing we see in Mary's prayer of praise is that she praised God for His faithfulness. When was the last time you thanked God for His faithfulness? The past several weeks, of those of you who followed the last series of messages, we've been going through it for weeks, talking about the grace of God in the life of Jacob. And I showed you again and again and again, literally in every message, I showed you how God renewed His promise. He renewed His promise. I gave it to Abraham and gave it to Isaac, and He kept giving it to Jacob with all of his troubles. God kept emphasizing and repeating that the Messiah will come through the line of Jacob. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Some of you. And 2,000 years later, after Jacob, it's almost 2,000 years between Jacob and Mary, 2,000 years after he renewed that promise many times, God's faithfulness to his promise is fulfilled in this humble teenage girl. The promise he made to Jacob. Even when God's people became so impatient and they become so rude to God. Read about in the Old Testament. They, be, they blamed God for his unfaithfulness. Yet he kept his promises. Beloved, listen to me. God will always keep his promises. Listen to what she said. He, has full, he filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Jacob or Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Just as he promised. He promised Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son. Even in their old age, 25 years later, he delivered on that promise. He promised Moses that he will take his people from the slavery of Egypt into the promised land. Forty years later, he fulfilled that promise. Century after century, from Genesis to Malachi, God promised to send a Messiah, and in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a pure virgin. The Virgin Mary, who embodied and personified God's fulfillment of his promise to the human race, she is saying, in effect, through these words of the Magnificat, God always, always keeps His promises. Let's say it together. God always keeps His promises. Say it again. God always keeps His promises. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to trust God to keep His promise to you? Are you willing to trust Him even when you see no evidence are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to magnify and glorify His name above all else? Waiting. Are you willing to bear witness to His grace and mercy for His faithfulness? Even when things are going awry, even when things are going wrong, even when, when, when your circumstances are not favorable, you are favored by God. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to have a very short, simple prayer. We're going to pray it together. And I hope you raise your voice and let heaven hear and let the devil hear. Here's the prayer. It's a prayer of the centurion. I'm going to say it first, and we're going to pray it together. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's say it together. Lord, 
Father God, we're so thankful because you know the secrets of our hearts and you know what's inside of us that we don't even know. But Father, we come clean with you this morning and ask you afresh, renew our vision of that favor that you granted us to be called sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, lift up our eyes, lift up our heads so we can see you with all of your glory in gratitude and thanksgiving for your grace and for your faithfulness that your glory becomes paramount in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing.